feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? everybody and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we um, are late to watching a thing on television. Shocking, I know. And we decided to watch Midnight Mass like, after like a month. Oh my goodness. Hamish Linklater is such an underrated actor, I feel like. Every time I see him in anything, he's just amazing. And it's basically the cast from Bly Manor and Haunting of Hill House, but in a totally unrelated series. Yes. So you know it's good. And so we're not done yet. So maybe it'll have a terrible ending and we'll be like, never mind next week. But so far, it's something else. Oh, yeah. And the other thing we have going on is I got my COVID number three and my flu shot yesterday. Both of her arms hurt. Both of my arms hurt. But actually, the flu shot hurt a lot worse uh, in terms of my arm. And I got home, I slept for a few hours, but I think that's because I was out past 11 the previous night. Yeah, we went to, we went to see The Music Man. Yep. And it was very cute. It was a high school play and good job to everybody. I love, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but there's just something special about non-Broadway, non-professional plays. People who are there w want to be there. They're not getting a paycheck. They're just so excited to be there. And it's just, it's, it's so nice. Um... But this morning I woke up in tears because of how much my body hurt. Like, it feels like the worst flu you've ever had. You know how your whole body aches. But I took some ibuprofen because I looked it up. It was like, don't take ibuprofen before your shot and wait some time after. But then you can take some because uh, the goal of COVID vaccines is to cause an inflammatory reaction. They don't want you to stop that by taking ibuprofen first. So I waited about 24 hours and then passed back out. For another three hours and now i'm doing okay um for the most part i just know austin's going out later today i just know i'm gonna end up sick the moment he arrives where he's supposed to be oh yes yeah it's 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 how it always works he's like oh no i need someone to bring me ginger ale yeah i think it's gonna be hot tea today i might make you make me hot tea okay i'm so i'm so mean i will serve the tea before i leave <laughs> so yeah it's been um the last day, get if you are eligible for your third COVID vaccine, which I they are now in California, not even checking. And with me, they didn't check. I've got pre-existing conditions that qualify me for it. So I assumed I was going to have to go in there and tell them, like, I've got this, 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 and this. But they didn't even ask. They were just like, okay, cool. You're here for your third one. Um, it's been enough time and we're good. You can get the flu one at the same time. My experiences with the flu one hurt worse, but it also could be, you know, the way she jabbed me or whatever. But both yeah. hurt. <laughs> and I get mine on Wednesday. So, you know, I planned ahead. It's like, okay, we got to record. I've got my research done. I can take a hit in the middle of the week. I'm good. Yeah. I was only, th only thinking about you, listeners. He actually is ahead of schedule and has two episodes done where I was like, I did not figure out who I was researching until Friday. It is currently Sunday. Um, I did the research, though, and it's um, in it's an interesting historical person that we never learned about in school, even though they were referenced. It's kind of like... You know, I went to Catholic school and most of the apostles were referenced, but not actually talked about. <laughs> what? They never talked about? I think there was one named Timothy. I think so, too, because there's a there is a first and second Timothy. Oh, my God. I don't know Bible stuff, um, which is part of why I'm so confused watching Midnight Mass. But I'm learning so much. Yeah. Uh, Austin's not Catholic. The town is 
predominantly Catholic. And so there are times we finally figured out we're pretty sure it's a, it's it is a completely fictional place. But we're pretty sure it's set in kind of Massachusetts because that is a very Catholic place. I don't know if it's the number one religion anymore, but it's a yeah. very Catholic place. And there were times where I would, you know, explain things to Austin about what was going on because Lutherans don't mourn their religion. Yeah, it's <laughs> the ashes thing. I think that freaked Austin out a little bit. It's like this is well, I mean, people always come into work with that and it's like, oh, yeah, but, but like, now, you know, no, like the entire story. It's like, this is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are dust and to dust you shall return. It's like you are nothing. You might as well already be dead the way he was doing. And I'm like, I love you, Hamish Linklater. Will you please be my new husband? Um. And they're just, it's just some weird stuff that I didn't ever realize other religions didn't do because even when I w was getting confirmed in Catholicism and Austin was confirmed in Lutheranism. Yes. Um, yes. For me, yes. they're like, visit other churches, but they all have to be Catholic. I'm like, ah, uh, that means I learn nothing. Well, other places are like, go to other religions. Yeah. Make sure you're, go you're in the one you want to be in, make an informed decision. My mom did that for her world religions class too. She had to go to like several different types of churches, which... I kind of wish I had the opportunity. I guess I, there's no, there's nothing stopping me, I guess, from like going to a Buddhist temple for a ceremony or stuff, because it is interesting. Everything's interesting. Yeah. I know we went to a, we got to, we went to a Buddhist temple. It was, I actually enjoyed it more than uh, Lutheran church, but I mentioned that and I was immediately shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to, I, I can't remember the last time I went to a Catholic service. I think I was about 13 or 14, other than, you know, I think I've been to a funeral or something since then, but those aren't the same. And Austin looked over at me, and I was mouthing the entire mass ceremony parts that we were doing was, along with him. That made it creepier. It made it creepier. Because it's already creepy. It gets into your head, and you never forget what's said. And it said stuff, same stuff as everywhere. It's everywhere. All right. Are we ready to get into it, though? Let's do this. Okay. So as I mentioned, I'm talking about an historical figure today. Someone that was mentioned in school and as an insult through our entire lives. But what they actually did was never mentioned. Today, I am talking about Benedict Arnold. Ooh, tr the traitor. The first Benedict Arnold had been one of the founders of Rhode Island. His family was Rhode Island royalty. You could not have been from a more prominent family than the Arnolds. They were wealthy. They were well-known. They were well-liked. Everybody loved the Arnolds. And then there was Benedict Arnold III. He was, the, the, he was a the third? The uh, the one that founded Rhode Island was Benedict Arnold I. And then along came Benedict Arnold III, who moved to Connecticut. And then had Benedict Arnold IV, who was born on January 14th, 1741, or January 3rd, 1740, because you know how it goes, as Benedict Arnold IV, because we have to keep it going, the second of six children. Only he and his sister Hannah, who was named after his mother, Hannah II, uh, didn't die of yellow fever. They were the only ones to make it for adulthood. They were raised in wealth, but the other siblings all died when he was 12. So his dad fell into alcoholism and ran through all of their money. Oh, no. It's like they were at these nice private schools. There was every expectation that Benedict Arnold would go to jail or not jail, Yale. Yeah. Yeah. His dad. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Was in... No. Oh. Well, yes, but no. Um. So his, he had a, he was pulled out of his private school. Yale was off the table. He spent a lot of his time taking care of his sister, uh, helping out his mom, trying to keep dad out of trouble. And apparently dad was not a very nice drunk and he was usually drunk. Uh, thankfully, though, his mother had some connections and got him an apprenticeship with some of her cousins who ran a business and an apothecary, which is basically a pharmacy. At 16, he enlisted in the Connecticut militia and 
headed towards Albany, New York. But the siege they were going to uh, help with went badly. This was the French-Indian War. The Indians won, but they were behaving really badly afterwards. And the militia was like, um, yeah, we don't want to be associated with this. And so they turned around and that service of his lasted for 13 days. <laughs> then his mother died in 1759. So he, and he was about 18. So he had to take care of his father and his sister because his dad's drinking got worse and worse and worse. His dad got arrested several times and it was bad enough that the church refused to give him communion anymore. Wow. Yeah, we've talked about this before, how like that was the ultimate shunning was when your church would no longer give you communion. Um, and his dad died just a couple years later in 1970 or 1761. Benedict began working as a pharmacist and a bookseller in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, which was a new place for a new start, which is always the way a horror movie begins is you need a new start. Uh, by 1763, though, he was very successful, repaid the money his mom's cousins had let him borrow to start his business. And he was able to repurchase his family's homestead, which his dad had sold to pay off their debts slash for his alcohol. In 1764, he resold the homestead at a profit. Oh. and Because this dude... He was incredibly smart, but more importantly, he was incredibly charismatic and handsome. He could get people to do what he wanted when he wanted. And he was apparently also built like a goddamned tank. So if he couldn't talk you into it, he could scare you into it. I told Austin Hamilton will not be mentioned during this entire thing, but that kind of sounds like Hamilton to me. It's like, I, I have trouble believing that Hamilton doesn't come up Hamilton was not not built like a tank, but Hamilton could talk you into basically anything. I kind of imagine him as, um, oh goodness, uh, Jeff from Community, where it's like, <laughs> I found out if I talk long enough, I can get people to believe anything. So either I'm God or truth is relative, and in, in either case, booyah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that actually is a Hamilton quote. Yes, Hamilton invented bo- Hamilton vote, uh, invented the word booyah. You know, it's like, really, these people who write a lot, they invent a lot of words doing so. Like Shakespeare, Hamilton invented booyah. Um, I'm not going to cite my sources. You'll have to look it up yourself. I had a couple places in here where I was like, I don't feel like citing my sources. It's too much work. <laughs> I ended up cutting most of those out. Um, so he partnered up with another merchant. They started a trading business, purchased three strip uh, ships, and got involved with the West Indies trade. Oh. Yeah, they were like making it making it for real. As this began to pick up, he brought his sister to New Haven to live with them. And because he was so busy traveling for work, either through the United States, through Canada, or what would later become the United States, and the West Indies, his sister, a woman, <gasps> ran the business. She was running everything that was the in-person side of the business. A woman. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until oh, when, he, when he was in New Haven as well, he was starting to kind of process what happened throughout his childhood because he did have an abusive and neglected child, neglectful childhood after his mother died. They were very close. And then his dad just went completely bonkers. Like, she, I, I have a feeling she sent him to work with the cousins to get him away. But he was never able to get over having a short fuse, considering anything anybody said to him that could remotely be considered negative to be an extreme insult. And he loved to challenge men to duels. <laughs> but the handsomeness and char- charis- charisma kind of overcame a lot of that for him. Then along came the Sugar Act and the Stamp Act. Now, I don't think we talked about the Sugar Act too much in school, and I didn't no. dig too much in it, but it basically was like extra taxes on things like lumber. I don't know. Huh. And but then, it's the sugar. Okay. Okay. I'm sure sugar was in there somewhere, but I didn't read the whole article. And then there was the Stamp Act, which it was actually kind of interesting reading about it. So I know we learned about it in school. But I don't remember it. And it was basically like, let's raise taxes, but only on certain people with certain jobs. 
they were taxing the rich. <gasps> Lawyers, doctors, bankers, not because they were rich as much as they were afraid that these people were going to be too successful and learn to take over the British crown. <laughs> not realizing that taxing them more would just piss them off and give them more motivation to uh, go after the British crown. Or in modern days, the motivation to go into space. Or to storm the capital, because for some reason those people all think they're rich. Yeah, I mean, but they're very white. Other than the lady who got the private jet and actually got jail time. <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to go to jail because I'm white and blonde. How'd that work out? So this resulted in Benedict joining the Sons of Liberty. This he didn't really act directly with them. He didn't do the protest and stuff, um, but he did operate his business through the old means, which now meant, smug which now meant smuggling. He ultimately ended up with 16,000 pounds in debt, though. He ended up in some other legal trouble after he and his gang beat up a guy who thought they were going to tattle on him for being a member of the Sons of Liberty, because snitches got stitches even back then. In 1767, he married a woman named Margaret Mansfield. She was the daughter of a local sheriff and Freemason. Which means he got out of almost all of his trouble. They immediately had a son named Benedict. The fifth? Benedict the fifth. Now, descendants of Arnold are still very much around. I don't, I doubt most of them are named Benedict. You know what? I kind of, maybe, maybe they got some bad press and they stopped naming them Benedict. But man, I wish there was like a Benedict the 27th running around. Well, they all pretty much live in Canada now. Oh. And uh, he caused some shit up in Canada, which I'll talk about. But they were talking to Canadian historians, but I'm like, yeah, he's a historical figure for us, too. He is an historical figure in the U.S., in Canada, in England, and in France. Wow. Except the other countries are all like, what he did at the end of the day really wasn't that big a deal for us. I can see how it was a big deal for you, but he's basically just kind of a blip for us. And then they also had two more sons, so he has three kids right now. In 1775, Benedict joined the Connecticut militia again. And he was immediately elected captain. He marched to assist in the siege of Boston and tried to convince them to further their efforts towards taking over Fort Ticonderoga, was ultimately granted a colonel position. He ended up participating in the seizure of that Fort Ticonderoga, which I assume the pencils are named after. It's, I think um, they're all their made entire, out of... Like their entire battle was just them throwing pencils and that's, you know... No, um, it's a common misconception. The fortress was actually made out of pencils. Oh, okay. Just really big pencils dipped into the ground. I like was tapes. imagining tiny pencils that were just like glued together. That's actually funnier. Kind of like that. those uh, toothpick bridges we had to make back in school. My uh, and I told my friend, I told my partner, I'm like, don't flip it over. It's not dry yet. Don't flip it over. It's not dry. She flipped it over and it broke in half and we had to re-glue it before bringing it to school and it broke. See, this is why you always listen to me. Uh, the seizure of Fort Ticonderoga was run by Ethan Allen, who I assume is the furniture guy. Yes. That is all that makes sense to me. I did not bother to look this up. Once it was taken over, Allen and his buddies were like, ooh, alcohol. Because the Brits, of course, had left all of their alcohol behind and they were like, let's go party. They were partying like it was Friday, party and party and yeah. And Arnold was like, well, fuck this. And so he got on a boat and he went to the other end of Lake Champlain and captured some military vessels. I, I don't think he was alone, <laughs> although some of the articles were kind of like implied he was alone, but still I managed just... to take over several British military vessels. I'm like, OK, I don't think he was that charming. Just like got, they got drunk, went across a lake and stole some. No, boats. the other guys weren't involved. This oh. is uh, see, this is one of the things about Benedict Arnold is he was very single minded. If he had an idea, that was the only idea. There was no compromising. And if he thought someone was acting a fool, like Ethan Allen, he fucking told them. He was like, we have a mission. We need to complete the mission. You sitting here like a drunken asshole is making it harder to complete the mission. Ethan Allen was like, I don't like you. 
I don't like your face. I don't like your boat. I don't like your stupid name, Mr. Number Four. I'm assuming that's how the conversation went. Yeah. Also, I think they all would have still had more or less British accents at this time. Probably. It's actually the whole thing with accents is really interesting. Although British people didn't really start sounding like they do now until later. It's a real... Guys, seriously, accents are fascinating. Um, so he took over the other end of Lake Champlain, which gave America complete command of the lake. And this is a big ass, important military spot having control of this lake. But his short fuse got him in trouble. Like I said, if he didn't like something, he spoke up about it. Not that I am in any way like oh, that. You have never done that. This resulted in him getting into an argument with a Continental Army officer named James Easton, who questioned Arnold's authority on Champlain as Arnold had declared himself Commodore of the Navy there. He was not actually given this title, nor was he in the Navy. You if they even had a Navy at the time. You can't just say you're Commodore. Yeah, so he said he was the Commodore, and the other guy was like, um, who told you that? And he was like, shut up, bro. And they got into a big argument, and it was a whole thing. So he got in a lot of trouble, and Easton became an enemy. He ended up with a lot of enemies. But at the same time, people who worked directly under him in the military loved him. And some of them called him the most inspirational military leader they had ever had. <laughs> So we've got this one side where these tend to be people in higher positions who can't stand him because he tells them what he thinks and he tells them when they're doing something wrong. Well, the younger people, the people who are beneath him, thought that he was the tits. They were like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows how to lead a military. He knows how to talk. He knows how to get us motivated. And it's one of those things where I've mentioned before, both things can be true. He can be a garbage human, although we don't see any evidence of it yet. And also be somebody who people trust. At this point, he found out his wife was dead. She'd been dead for a month by the time he found out. Uh, so he kind of went back home and he acted very, very sad about it. And then three weeks later, he ditched his kids with Hannah. Hannah took over the household, though she'd already kind of been in charge of the household because Margaret was more of his partner in crime than a wife. And sometimes <laughs> this was literally because her dad was the sheriff. So, yeah, he's, he's both like a crook and this like really good military leader at the same time. So Hannah is now raising his three sons. After this, Arnold was part of a team that invaded Quebec because nothing says, hey, join us in the revolution like an invasion. Because that was their goal, was to get the people in Quebec to join the revolution by killing them. Yeah, makes perfect sense. What did my ancestors ever do to you? They invented hockey. I don't actually don't know. They introduced lacrosse to America? No, that was Native Americans. Okay. Um, despite being in charge of this whole idea, Arnold wasn't allowed to be in charge of the actual invasion. So he went to Cambridge, Massachusetts to talk to his BFF, George Washington, about, con about attacking Quebec City. He was given 1,100 men to go take to Quebec City. During the trip, 300 men deserted and 200 died. Oh. So he arrived with about half of his army. Luckily, there was another army there that was ready to fight. And during the fight, Benedict's left leg was destroyed. Just like, no more leg. Well, he still had a leg, but it, it was it was it wasn't very good. It wasn't very functional at this point. He still walked, but not well. Throughout all of this career here, he kept trying to get promoted and kept trying to resign because he'd be like, "I want a promotion." They'd be like, "No," because then I quit, and they'd be like, "No, promoted, no, quit, no." Uh, an all or nothing kind of thing was this guy. Then he later on, his leg was healed enough for this. Decided to ignore direct orders to go do another invasion of another place and got another injury in the same leg. And another, like, really bad injury. And this resulted in him finally getting promoted. <laughs> and he actually, it, there's like a statue there that actually is, like, secretly in praise of his valor in battle. His name is not on it. 
Doctors were like, bro, we need to amputate this leg. We cannot save this leg. This leg is in bad shape. And he was like, I don't want to. So it healed really badly. And he ended up with one leg two inches shorter than the other. That leg was to ended up two inches shorter, which, as what? you might imagine, gave him a lot of problems walking. And it also developed gout. In June 1778, historian John Shy says, quote, Washington then made one of the worst decisions of his career, appointing Arnold as military governor of the rich, politically divided city, meaning Philadelphia. No one could have been less qualified for this position. Arnold had amply demonstrated his tendency to become embroiled in disputes as well as his lack of political sense. So he was now military governor of Philadelphia. Oh, and he still got into arguments with everyone. At some point during this, 36 to 38-year-old uh, Arnold met a teenager named Peggy Shippen. They're not really sure where or how they met, but they were able to find a love letter he wrote to her and to a girl six months ago, but prior to that, which were identical. I ship it. <laughs> the love letters? Yeah. Those two love letters belong together? No, I mean, her last name was Shippen, and I ship it. Oh, okay. So yeah, he wrote her a love letter that was a duplicate of one he'd written to a different woman. <laughs> But he also told her how much she he he knew under how much she uh, he also told her he understood how much she loved her parents who were both loyalists. Oh, and he at this point was considered an extreme patriot. I haven't gotten into that a whole lot, but he was a patriot to the point of near extremism. Like in the Revolutionary War, he fully believed in everything the revolution was doing. He was very loud about it. This dude was a patriotic extremist who fell in love with the daughter of a pair of loyalists, one of whom was a judge. But he's like, I feel like we can overcome this. I feel <laughs> like, you know, I'm not going to tell you to change. You're not going to tell me to change. This will work out really well. And uh, she before him had been dating a British major named John Andre while the British were occupying Philadelphia, despite the fact that there was a law against correspondence, let alone romances with people there and the British. John Andre becomes important. Well, he, he decided then to start living it up in Philadelphia. He began to integrate himself into the Philadelphian upper class, beginning to do things true patriots like him would never do, like go to depraved events like the theater. <gasps> I talked to you ago about the theater largely stopped during the Revolutionary War, which is true because it was not only a waste of time, but it was depraved. He even he gave tickets to balls he attended or ran uh, to suspected loyalists. He even wore a red suit to a ball. <gasps> he threw a party to which Tories and other undesirables were invited. But Joseph Reed, a radical patriot who lived next door to him, wasn't invited. And he got really, really mad. Oh, no. So he threw this big ass party of people who uh, the patriots didn't like. And he didn't invite a patriot who was really mad. At this same time, Reed, Joseph Reed, the next door neighbor, had been badmouthing Washington in secret levels letter, letters with Charles Lee. You remember the guy who shit the bed at the Battle of Monmouth? I'm a general. Whee! Everyone attack. Retreat. <laughs> um, now, these secret letters, one of them from Reed to Lee ended up on George Washington's desk, kind of like when you accidentally CC somebody on an email or hit reply all uh, when you're badmouthing someone. Washington, seeing the names on it, was like, oh, it must be official business, and opened it and read the letter that was badmouthing him. <laughs> now, you would think George Washington being in charge of these guys, these guys, like, 
I don't know what they were saying, but I gather it was like the point where they could have gotten in real trouble. George Washington, being the dude he was, read it, stuck a note in it saying, I apologize for the seal being broken. I thought this letter was for me and passed it on to Charles Lee without saying a word. <laughs> All right. First of all, you know, for a fact, Hamilton put that on his desk saying, oh, I'm going to start some shit. <laughs> Hamilton was exactly that messy. I don't know, because Hamilton loved Washington. Like, he would never have done anything that would, like, actively yeah, hurt feel, his feelings. I feel Although like he, he did hate Charles some, Lee. He would start drama at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. But I think this was just, like, a mix-up. Like, it was um, official political correspondence from people that Washington knew. So this is an interesting thing, though, um, knowing this. Did Arnold not give Joseph Reed an invitation to the party because he, meaning Arnold, had become a loyalist? Was it because he wanted the loyalists to like him? Or was he saying a big fuck you because he was friends with George Washington and still believed that he was a patriot? Or was it a means of protesting a recent execution Joseph Reed oversaw that he did not agree with? They hanged a pair of Quakers, for God's sakes. The oat people? No. Yes. In 1779, though, things really began to change. That January, he was starting to kind of leave the military. He was well-liked in New York. And they were like, hey, come come move to New York. Become a landlord. Um, we've got a lot, bunch of loyalists here who also are a uh, landowner. There are a bunch of loyalists up here, but, you know, you make a lot of money as a landowner up here. So he's like, okay, cool, cool. Uh, because his work in Philadelphia actually wasn't going well and he was hemorrhaging money. So he's like, okay, I'll become a land baron. I'll go to New York and I'll finally impress my wife's family because her dad didn't like him. On his way to New York, he stopped to visit Washington in New Jersey. Well, Joseph Reed saw this as his opportunity. And he also knew that Arnold had been involved with some shady business dealings. Like I mentioned earlier, the smuggling. There was also some profiteering happening, like all that kind of stuff. So Reed put together a list of eight charges against Benedict Arnold and gave it to Washington. Almost all of these were entirely based on rumors with nothing to back them up. And he started a very public smear campaign (laughs) against Arnold. Arnold was like, okay, fine. If we're going to have the smear campaign about stuff I know I didn't do, I could either go off to New York and these things will probably go away, or I can head back to Philadelphia and face the music and and clear my name. He went back to Philadelphia because he knew that he had not done these things. And he was like, I'm going to clear my fucking name. This is ridiculous. Washington must know this is ridiculous. So I am going to fight for myself. They never did find that evidence against him. For the most part, he did get convicted of a couple of very minor things. Washington, during the original part, refused to take sides, which was very common. But it, it is actually believed that Washington was on Arnold's side with this, not Joseph Reed, and not Ooh. because of the letters, but because Arnold actually didn't do a lot of the things he was being told he did, and there was no evidence. So Washington, if it had been the opposite way, even if Joseph Reed was the one in trouble, he still would have been like, there's no evidence, though, as much as he's a bag of dicks. Um, But behaviors towards Arnold began to get worse because of the smear campaign. He became increasingly depressed and began to believe the independence experiment had failed because it was the Patriots largely going after him. His wife, his new wife, 18-year-old Peggy, fully believed that the independence experiment had had been a failure from the start. So the fact that he began to believe this so soon after returning to Philadelphia and marrying her almost right away is suspect. See, 18, 19-year-old Peggy convinced her father to allow her to marry Benedict, 
by um, a combination of him claiming to have a lot of money, which he did not. And uh, to prove it, he did not ask for a dowry. But really, she began to have, quote unquote, fits and go into hysterics and seem unstable whenever her father would say, you can't marry him. Just like Benedict Arnold, this was a woman who got what she wanted through whatever means necessary. And remember, he's almost 40 at this point, and she is 18, 19 years old and super hot. So they got married. And she started to kind of talk to him more and more about these loyalist things. And aren't these patriots being really mean to you? Lady Macbeth. He met his fucking match. And by all accounts, though, he actually loved the shit out of her. Although he does at some point probably have an illegitimate son. It's kind of hard to tell when this happened, though. If it was when it, during his first marriage, between the marriages, during this marriage, it's hard to tell. But there is a random dude who got a good part of his estate when he died and who later changed his last name to Arnold. Oh. He would ultimately have four sons and a daughter with Peggy. So he has a total of eight children, plus the one potential illegitimate ch- child. Honestly, at this point, I never found anything about his three original children ever again. Nothing about Benedict the Fifth. Well, no, Benedict does come back. Um, so two of the three. Uh, Benedict does come back. I believe it was him anyway. It might have just said his son. Because as you might imagine, at some point they do have to escape. And they say with his family. Well, it doesn't make it clear if that's Peggy and the kids, if that's Peggy, Hannah, and all the kids. Like, it never gets made clear. In what I read, if I had read like a biography, I'm sure I would have found it. But who has the time? So he's getting really tired of this. On May 5th, 1779, Arnold wrote Washington a letter saying, dude... If you actually think I'm guilty of any of this, for the love of God, just court-martial me. And if you believe it, then hang me because I can't do this anymore. The stress is becoming too much. I am constantly upset and, quote, oh, I I took out the quote. He also said that if he became, since he had become crippled in service of the country, why wasn't he being treated as well as people who hadn't done half as much as he had? Why was he a villain and they were heroes when he was fully crippled for the rest of his life? Uh, but he was so fucking done that at the same time, he also reached out to the British, specifically John Andre, his wife's ex-boyfriend. Arnold wanted to talk to him about deflecting, but he wanted to make sure it was worth it first. He was not immediately like, I'm going to deflect. He was like, okay, I'm giving Washington a chance to fucking get me out of this, but I'm also going to talk to them and make sure that this is the right move. The court martial from Washington got delayed and delayed and delayed, but he finally had it and got off with a reprimand, a couple of minor things were proved true, like the profiteering. Nothing really happened. But the damage was done at this point. It had been so long and so many months and months and months of him being vilified that he's like, I'm fucking done. So he began to giving the British troops locations and information and all this important shit about what the Americans were doing, transporting the letters via Peggy and her female friends, so nobody would question it, using codes and invisible ink which i believe at the time was made with p but i'm not 100 percent sure the they don't believe the other women knew what they were passing on but they know peggy did because peggy was like <sighs> peggy was lady Macbeth in this she knew what was up meanwhile philip schuyler who was also really good friends with benedict arnold so obviously hamilton is like nearby was like hey hey buddy buddy do you want to be in charge of west point <laughs> and arnold was like bet and he went to the british and was like hey guys Guess what I'm in charge of now? And they were like, cool. All right, we got this. We, we, can, we can take over West Point and then the war is over. Uh, so seeing the score, though, knowing that he was going to get found out, he sold his house in Connecticut and began to transfer everything he had to London. He ultimately offered to surrender West Point to the British for 20,000 pounds plus any previous expensive and a 1,000 pound down payment. They were like, we'll give you 20,000 pounds. And he was like, all right. <laughs> 
So Arnold was like, we got to make it sure, make sure they can get in here. So the whole place was in much need of repair. And he just didn't do them. The place literally started to crumble. And instead of having troops in a central location where they could defend it, he spread them out so that they were kind of all over and couldn't issue a strong defense. And he drained as many of the resources as he could. When anybody asked, he's like, Washington won't send me more. And he would even send letters to Washington like, we need more resources. And Washington's like, I'm fighting a war. Thanks. Near the end of September, Arnold and Andre finally met in person for the first time. Arnold gave Andre passes that would get him through the American lines and into West Point. I have Westport, West Point, yeah. Um, as well as the plans for West Point's grounds. Andre was captured near Terrytown by the militiamen. Though they passed all of this on to the superiors, uh, Ar Andre convinced them to let him go see Arnold so they could figure out what was actually going on here, basically. And they're like, okay, cool, and let him go to West Point. But then Washington was like, what the actual fuck? And sent them to go track him down, and Andre got rearrested before he could make it to West Point. Arnold ran. He heard about this. He was like, oh, shit, took off. He boarded a trip to New York City, writing a letter to Washington requesting his wife, Peggy, and their kids be safely sent to her family. And Washington, because he wasn't a dick, was like, yes, we are not going after your wife and children. And had her sent to her family to be in a safe location where people wouldn't know where she was. Um, and then Washington was like, okay, I want to trade Andre for Arnold. I think we can make this work, where Andre gets to go back and the British will give us back Arnold. Well, the Americans were like, no, we're not doing that. So Andre was hanged. And then Washington was like, okay, but we still got to get Arnold. And I know how much y'all like him and everything, but yeah, he committed treason here. We got to get him. He is to be hanged on sight. Remember, this is one of his friends. So this, yeah. and knowing what we know about Washington, this couldn't have been the easiest choice to make, but he was like, dude is slippery as shit. We have to hang him on sight because we don't have a fucking choice. Now, the thing is... If the British had listened to Arnold, because Arnold was like, okay, still, guys, I'm on your side now. Here's everything I know. Here's what you need to do. They didn't listen. And if they had listened, they wouldn't, they almost definitely would have won the battle at Yorktown. Wow. Yeah. They would not have had to surrender at Yorktown, which largely solidified the Revolutionaries' War's end if they had just listened to Benedict Arnold. <laughs> so I guess Hamilton does come back into play there. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> like Hamilton. Is just kind of lurking like a shark. Mm -hmm. But this all says to me, like, maybe Arnold was smarter than him. Maybe. Um, and, the, and actually, um, Hamilton had some major loyalist tendencies, which I've never really gone into. But dude still thought, like, we should still have a monarchy. We should still be doing this and this. We just we shouldn't be owned by England, but we should still run this the same way England did. And Washington was like, no, go sit down. <laughs> Arnold was put in charge of several battles, though, which the British largely won. But they had really high casualties and they decided the number of deaths wasn't worth the wins. Because it sounds to me like they're like more and more like, you know what? This place just isn't fucking worth it. Do you see these people? Like, do we really want them that badly? Let them fucking just die off. Cause that will, that's what will happen without us. Because they did believe that. It's like Before Cornwallis surrendered, Arnold tried to get permission to go to England to give Lord George Germain all the information that he had. Because I guess he was like running everything from afar. They're like, nah. So the surrender happened. He's like, all right, fine. Can I fucking go now? And they're like, all right. And his whole family, or at least Peggy and the kids, this is where I'm unclear, came with him. He became a Tory and worked with Germain and King George III to restart the fight. Members of Parliament didn't all agree that they could trust Arnold, though, something he had suspected since well before he moved to England. 
Because he and remember, this guy is paranoid. Like anything is a slight. Everything is they're out to get him. He's not getting promoted because they're out to get him. They're not letting him resign because they're out to get him. This is Arnold's whole deal. Everyone is always out to get him. Again, Arnold kept getting trying to get military positions and he kept getting rejected. He ended up having to go with a lower paying job completely unrelated to the war effort. He was maligned in the British press now, who celebrated Major Andre, the one who'd been hanged, as a hero, basically like if Benedict Arnold hadn't fucked up so bad. Which, again, Andre got himself caught, as far as I could tell. While referring to Arnold as a, quote, mean mercenary who, having adopted a cause for the sake of plunder, quits when convicted of that charge. Now, he never had a trial, but by all, but he was more or less convicted because they had all the evidence they needed via the letters from him to Andre, which Washington had. And he was like, trust the wrong person again. Fucker. In 1785, Arnold and his son, and I believe this was Benedict IV, but I'm not entirely sure if this meant he was in London or if he called for him from America or whatever, moved to New St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. They set up a trade business working with the West Indies again, got a ton of land, and were accused of cheating lots and lots of people out of money. <laughs> Once the whole family arrived a couple years later, he was given a shit ton of lawsuits from uh, even debts that he owed back in America, debts that he owed in London, debts that he owed in Canada. 12,000 pounds was the biggest one. He only had to pay 900 pounds on it. Uh, and then he had... he won a slander lawsuit. He actually won this one. Uh, where he was like, that's slander. And they were like, no, it's not. And he was like, yes, it is. And he won. Because of this, people in Canada burned his effigy in front of his house while his wife and children watched. <laughs> and then they were like, uh, peace out and went back to London. Wow. He pissed off Canadians. Enough to burn him in effigy. Yes. Wow. Uh, he spent the rest of his life having everyone go after his character. He had a bloodless duel after someone said mean something mean about him in the House of Lords. The French put him in prison for supposedly spying for the British, which he actually I don't think was. He was doing trade. Um, and he only avoided being hanged by bribing them. So this is the only time he got arrested was by the <laughs> French. America never got him. He organized some militias on the British island, which got him some respect, but not the command he still asked for. And they were like, nah, bro. But they did give him some acreage in Canada. So he you know, ends up in Canada again. His health began to decline. Uh, he had gout in the one leg that spread to the other leg. He was ultimately diagnosed with dropsy, which is like foot fluid retention in your extremities. And so he was sent to the countryside because the options are being bled, given cocaine, or moving to the country, apparently. He got a little better. But you know, oh, I'll say uh, dropsy is like it's like a part of congenital heart failure, which is why you're retaining all the fluid. And cocaine would have been really bad for that. Well, they didn't actually recommend cocaine. Those are just the things that oh. they tended to offer. Opium was another one they tended to offer back then. Also super bad. Yeah. Um, he died on June 14th, 1801, after being in a delirium for four days. They made up some really amazing last words for him that were still nonsense. <laughs> there's no evidence that he said these things. He was buried at St. Mary's Church, Battersea in London. A century later, a clerical error resulted in him being moved to an unmarked mass grave. So kind of final insult to injury for a guy who wanted nothing but fame and recognition his entire life. Though he was never tried or hanged for being a traitor, his name has since become synonymous with that. Benjamin Franklin wrote, quote, Judas only sold one man, Arnold sold three million. Wow. All of his family's graves have been destroyed except for his mother's. All the ones in America. Wow. Yeah. Most books, though, about him have blown all of this out of proportion. They're saying he did way bigger and worse things than he actually did. Because everything here, 
Yeah, he was a spy. Yeah, he was a traitor. He wasn't what we were kind of led to he believe. He wasn't like a scheming evil weasel, like he didn't do twiddling his, his fingers laughing evilly. He didn't do the level of shit Aaron Burr did. No. He didn't try to steal Texas or whatever. Yeah. Um. So why did he do this, though? That is the big question. Yeah. Here are some theories that have been brought forth by historians. Childhood trauma, basically making it so that he was overly sensitive about things and he needed some kind of control. Anger about perceived disrespect from other military members, which kind of ties back into childhood trauma. His injuries causing him constant physical pain and emotional pain because no one seemed to give a shit. And so he was like, well, I got this in defense of my country who does not care. Um, A midlife crisis going from liberal to conservative. (laughs) Opportunism. Where can I get the most money? Which does sound a lot like him because a big part of his childhood trauma was his dad spent all their money and he was very worried about money for the rest of his life. But what most people believe, most historians landed on, is Peggy Shippen happened to him. This beautiful 18, 19-year-old convinced him to become a loyalist so that he could marry her. Now, there's a certain amount of sexism in that where it's like the whole, you know, Madonna and the whore thing, except in this case, she's a whore for the loyalists. Um, So there's a certain amount, but I think it's a combination of everything. So Benedict Arnold had 100 problems and I'm not going to, no, let's, let's, no. It's, it's funnier in my head when I started to say it. <laughs> so that is the story of Benedict Arnold. He was not like, I was, I always thought he must have like killed a shit ton of people. Yeah, like I was like assuming he like, like I have betrayed you and he led like. Like he, like he did lead some armies against the US, the American yeah. armies, but, and he did win a lot of those battles, but a lot of the British died in the process. Now, if the British had listened to him, things would have been a lot worse for us. We might still be run by England. But at the end of the day, it was kind of. In a way, almost, we failed him in a lot of ways. And that's actually how history is starting to view him more and more is uh, and I, even the Smithsonian was like, yeah, we kind of failed him and failed ourselves as a result. If we had just listened to him a little more, not necessarily given him all the posts he wanted or anything, but just even been like written him a Hallmark card. Sorry about your leg. <laughs> but nothing, nothing like that. I would have I would have see. So everything. That's why you always send a card. You got to send a card. It's why you always leave, leave a, a note. note. Wow, yeah. Like, he was both, at the same time, like, worse than what I expected and not as bad as what I expected. Yeah, this is one of those people, like, I've, I say this almost every episode, nobody is truly good or truly evil. I don't think at any point he was evil. I think he was yeah. a dick. Yeah, that's it. He was just an asshole. Yeah, he was a dick. I mean, he was from Connecticut. But it wasn't like he was, you know, I want to commit genocide. I want to... Uh, he wasn't trying to lead a cult. He wasn't trying to do any of the really horrible things we've talked. And maybe that's, maybe we're kind of just like desensitized at this point because of the people we've talked about on the podcast yeah. and because of all of 2020 and, and because of all of the people who won't get their vaccines even now. But 2021 did finally do something for us. We freed Brittany. Yes. We freed Brittany a couple of days ago. She has a couple of things still under conservatorship, but they're normal things to have under conservatorship when people are a little iffy. It's stuff like, Let's handle your finances better, like things like mm-hmm. that, which honestly, couldn't we all use somebody who's yeah. an expert to handle our finances? It's like, hey, uh, maybe you don't need to buy that, you know, six foot tall statue of Yoda. Why are you getting a six foot tall statue of Yoda? That makes zero sense. Why is the statue so tall? But it's skeleton Yoda, so it's for Halloween. Skeleton. That's even less useful. At least like regular Yoda is like good I don't year under- round. I don't understand why he has bones in his ears. 
All right, do you, are you ready for your questions? I am ready for my questions. All right, so these, I only have three this time. Oh, okay. These are questions about whether or not something would be on the test, not okay. what the answers are. Uh, Benedict Arnold was initially a uh, radical patriot. Yes, that'll be on the test. His treason was very complicated and lasted over many, many years. No, because we can't cover something that is not immediate. Unlike some of his co-conspirators, he was never arrested by Americans. He was never put to death and died of natural causes as a result of the very injuries that may have caused him to commit treason in the first place. That might be on the test. It's like, I just thought that was a really interesting thought was he probably wouldn't have done this if his injuries had been treated with uh, at least more respect. Yeah. So I guess like someone, someone who's limping, like get them a card, say, Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, Well, someone who took a random person. It's like, hey, hey, you. Hey, random person. Sorry about your limp. What? What? Um, Because that person will likely be me. And then you'll have to hear the story of how I got my limp. Okay, well, I was walking and then I stopped walking as good. And now I'm limping. No. (laughs) I was not looking at the ground and fell in a hole. No. Sewing is dangerous, kids. (laughs) I have a (laughs) sewing injury that has given me a limp. Only you. It comes and goes. It's not all the time. It's just when the uh, it the resulting surgery kind of gets knocked into where it shouldn't be. Ugh. But we'll just pre- I I'm just pretending that's not happening because I am not having another knee surgery. Well, I need to be nicer about it, or else you might commit treason and we'll have to move to Canada. Uh oh no! Universal health care and a whole territory or province or little area that's named after my family. Okay, so what you're saying is I should be meaner to you than we can move to Canada. I'm very confused. Well, if you're meaner than me, then we have to move to uh, Scandinavia because Americans perceive Scandinavians as mean because they're not, you know, ridiculously overly friendly and we'll be prepared. Yeah. Guys, that's kind of our life plan is if we don't move into a van to like move to Finland or Iceland or Sweden or something. And we're like universal health care, good educational system, like one that might make me want to go back to teaching. Ooh. And... People actually just socially distance naturally, except for in Sweden. What the fuck, Sweden? Sweden. What were you doing? Sweden, Austin. Like, what were your people doing? Um, you know how talking about how Benedict Benedict Arnold was kind of an asshole. Well, if you look at like all of the Nordic countries, Sweden is the asshole. It's like I get that they were trying to see if the herd immunity thing would work. I get that, but they should have done it in a controlled environment with a smaller group of people who volunteered, and like, you know, not just a random fucking experiment. It's like yeah, we'll try it. But at least they admitted. I also give them. At least they said that was a mistake. You'll never see our politicians go. Yeah, oh, no. that was a mistake. Looking at you, Kamala Harris, with your whole truancy thing. One mistake. She made one mistake. Yeah, and it ruined a lot of lives. It's like that's a point that's being a politician. Everyone's all she has to do is say she's sorry, and then I'll be cool with her. She, but she can't apologize (laughs) because it's America. Yeah, because it's America, and you can't apologize. All right, I'm gonna start my topic now because I actually have. uh, She talked about like an old thing that's kind of weird, and I'm pulling a Maddie because I'm gonna talk about something that's in current events. Oh no! Yeah, is it Britney? It's not Britney. If it is Britney, I'd be shocked. We should talk about Brady. We should explain who Quit's conservatorship is sometimes. We should. No, uh, so I work in a library, as you might know, and for the last month or so, like, all work chat has been focused on and kind of, like, central to book banning and book burning. Yeah, this has been bananas. What is it, 839 or something? Oh, yeah, there's been a It's, like, it's definitely had a big uptick in, like, the last year. And so 
every day we uh, see a story about an angry parent, a school board, a library board, or even the entire state of Texas trying to get some books banned or even just like planning mass book burnings. And by the way, uh, Texas as a concept just pisses me off. (laughs) And I would like to just mention once again, that is where your textbooks are written. Yeah. Not all of them, but the vast majority, which if you're going, why are these textbooks written this way? And why did we not learn this in school? Because they were written in Texas. Yeah. So I know a lot about book burnings and book bannings and all of this stuff and books being challenges, challenged from work. So I thought I'd take like our podcast this week to kind of talk about book challenges and kind of like what they what has happened historically, what happens now, and uh, what some libraries do when someone complains about a book in their collection. Mm-hmm. So uh, book burning and book banning is not new. It more or less concedes with written word appearing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a Chinese emperor, Xing uh, Hun uh said, is said to have burned, uh, buried alive 460 Confucian scholars to control uh, writing of history in his time. And um, in 212 BC, he actually burned all of the books in his kingdom, except for the ones in the royal library, which he later burned before his death. Because he wanted all of history to begin with him, and he thought if he burned all of the books, history would start with him because there'd be no record. Okay, um, I know what he did was really, really bad, but I also kind of respect it. That's like... Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, if... When was this? It was a long time, long ass time ago. So uh, he was 212 BCE. So he wasn't especially aware that there was a larger world beyond his. I mean, and... they, they knew there was a larger world, but like, you know, it's like... But it was China. This was civilization. Yeah. Everywhere else doesn't count. Like, I get the logic. I don't agree with it, but I respect it. Yeah. I see where he's coming from. Yeah. Uh, Caligula actually banned Homer's The Odyssey because it promoted the concept of Greek freedom. <laughs> I thought you were going to say because it was super boring. Are you crazy? This was Caligula. He probably loved that shit. No, I, I've read... Um, a condensed version of the Odyssey, and I'm like, I am so bored. Yeah. Uh, in the 1490s, a uh, Florentine religious fanatic, Savonarola, orchestrated massive burnings of books, art, and poetry in what he called Bonfires of the Vanities. Oh! That's where that comes from. Okay. And even, like, popular music was under attack at the time for being impious. Like, people were like, oh, I'm just not going to write songs right now. Because there's a bunch of people going bananas in the street for this. Mm -hmm. Well, um, eventually, uh, Savonarola was convicted of heresy and was burned at the stake in 1498. On a pile of books? No, on a pile of wood. It would have been hilarious if it was books. Like Like an episode of Buffy. I would have gone into his house and been like, okay, what books of his are here? Because I know, like, bitch still has some books hidden somewhere. So, yeah, like. Over history, like things like the Bible, Shakespeare, Newton, Darwin, countless books have been banned or challenged for just any number of reasons over the centuries. Mm-hmm. So let's play a game. Okay. I am going to name a work, the year it was banned, and the place it was banned, and I want you to try and guess why it was banned. Okay. And I know there's a standard set of reasons that things are banned, yeah. and I kind of have an idea of what they are. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Uh. The work is King Lear by William Shakespeare, and it was in 1788 to 1820 in England. Okay, first of all, I love King Lear. Um, Now, I want to say violence, but I actually want to go with disrespecting your parents. You're actually super close. It was because uh, the king went mad, and King George III was mad, and they didn't want to, like, insult the king. Even though 
That's actually an interesting thing in Shakespeare is um almost all almost all of his plays end with the highest ranking uh, person, uh, royalty, somebody like that, giving the last words of the play. Almost all of them do. Not all of them, but almost all. Um, out of respect for royalty. So actually, that was a bold move on his part. Yeah. Uh, here we go. The Bible in Germany in 1624. Germany, 1624. Um, I would imagine that their current ruler was trying to establish a specific religion. Yeah, it was uh, Martin Luther. Uh, he translated it into German and the Pope ordered it burned. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I. Uh, what was it? Episode two or three that I covered Martin Luther? Yeah. All right. Uh, here we go. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the Soviet Union in 1929. Uh, in the Soviet Union, 1929, encouraging people to think critically. Uh, it contained occultism. Yeah. It didn't, though. <laughs> no. I have actually... Okay, guys, you want to know how cool I am? I have read every single Sherlock Holmes book. And despite the fact that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle believed in spiritualism, Sherlock Holmes absolutely did not. Which goes further to prove that just because somebody wrote something doesn't mean they believe it. Kind of like J.K. Rowling wrote about loving everybody. Yeah. Ugh. So, uh, 1931, Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll in Hunan Province, China. <coughs> what year was that? 1931. Challenging royalty. No. Um... Animals spoke human language, and it upset the natural order of things. I am loving these reasons. Oh, yeah. there's Because, like, I'm going off of the uh, ALA reasons that tend to get cited. Oh, and... yeah. The, uh, here we go. And in 1983, the diary of Anne Frank in Alabama. Uh, sexuality. Yeah. Uh, sexuality. And it was, I quote, a real downer. I have had to teach that book. I'm actually, okay, this is going to sound weird. Just bear with me because I actually have a full statement on this. I actually believed we should not be reading that book because I was teaching about Judaism, not the Holocaust. And Diary of Anne Frank is not about Judaism. It is about the Holocaust. And we need to stop defining the Jewish people by what we did to them. And I say we because I'm a large chunk German, although I don't think my family was there at the time. No. Um, we need to stop defining the Jewish pe people by the horrific things that were done to them and start looking at what Judaism is and what they believe. And I pushed for them to change it. I tried, guys. We ended up switching to Number of the Stars, which had a little more in it and was also more age appropriate because we read the entirety of Anne Frank. Oh. My kids were in sixth grade. <laughs> oh, no. And there is some uh, stuff in there that I did not want to have to explain to sixth graders. Um, not that it's not important stuff, but there is like some actual sexuality stuff in there that I'm not saying they're not ready for it. I'm saying that their English teacher should not probably not be the one explaining <laughs> yeah. it to, to them when they're 10. Yep. <laughs> okay. And here are just a couple from like my job in the last week. Uh-huh. Uh, so you don't have to guess on these cause I think I've already told you them. It was from crook to cook. Platinum Recipes from the Boss Dog's Kitchen by Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh, this has been challenged because uh, Mr. Dog is a porn mogul, a felon, and a drug dealer. He has never been in prison? No. You know who has is his BFF, Martha Stewart. Yep. And uh, she actually wrote the introduction for that book. So mm -hmm. I guess he's not wrong. There is a felon in this book. Mm -hmm. It's just not Snoop Dogg. And... Uh, I was a stripper librarian from Cardigans to G-Strings by Christy Cooper. Um, the, the reason for this complaint was unclear. It was during a public meeting 
And right before this gentleman held up this book and yelled about our sinful community, he was telling us how the vaccine was communism. And he just held up this book as an example, I guess. It was very confusing. Does he think strippers and librarians are giving out vaccines? Only the stripper librarians. So, you know. You know, I wonder how many librarians strip on the side. I don't know. Because I feel like, you know, that would make some good money and it would never interfere with work hours. No. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so far, uh, like, zero people have paid for my OnlyFans, so I'm not sure if it's like, well, it's like or not. I mean, teachers get in trouble for that kind of shit all the time, but librarians probably wouldn't. So, yeah. you know, go get some. <laughs> not you, though. No, not me. Yeah. So, no, like, we've talked about these bands, but uh, you, you've heard of most of these books. So these bands are largely ineffective. Mm-hmm. Like, the books are still out there. They're still widely available. People can still access them freely mm-hmm. a majority of the time. And sometimes they even backfire. Like uh, Salman Rushdie um, had a fatwa declared against him for his book, The Satanic Verses, because uh-huh. it create, it painted an unflattering picture of the Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And there were certain religious extremist groups who wanted him killed mm-hmm. as a result. Well, it created enough publicity for his book that sales skyrocketed. And people believe that it would probably have been fairly obscure otherwise if there had not been the backlash against the author yeah i actually wanted to say banning these books makes kids more likely to go out and get them to the point where some kids you know how we always like oh no they're selling the adderall out of their locker they're selling the weed out of their locker first of all they're not dumb enough to keep the weed in their lockers because they know the dogs can smell it yeah um but there are kids who are running libraries out of their locker where you can check out a book for like a dollar a week And they're making big money because these are the books their school has banned. But, well, the school has banned them in the sense almost always that you can't get them at the library, but you can still read them. So they aren't getting in trouble for reading them. The kid who would be, quote unquote, dealing would get in trouble because, you know, they're not reporting it on their taxes, I assume would be the real problem. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. um, Harry Potter is constantly being challenged. Like every month you'll see a story about how x school or x church or whoever is saying we need to get rid of this book because it contains witchcraft well currently it has like 10 movies multiple theme parks a play on broadway that's also being adapted into a movie a bunch of video games a line of lego sets and a series of video games based on the lego sets yep it's doing just fine Yep, and you'll notice too that it's almost never the school librarians who are asking to do this. It's um, it, and, I, and granted, it could be because they just don't feel like making the effort to pull this shit from the shelves. Cause that's a lot of work. But yeah. no, like, so Harry Potter's doing just fine, unless we talk about the author. And I don't want to talk about the author. No, we have we don't we don't mention we don't talk about. Her. She is she who must not be named. Yeah. So yeah, it's like you'll see these books being challenged, and it is almost entirely by quote unquote parents. But there's a big thing where it's not actually parents of students who are currently in the district or they'll be from out of town and they'll just say, I'm a parent and I don't like this book to completely unrelated library systems or boards. Yeah. Or they're not even parents. Well, and the kids are starting to notice this, too. They're like, whose parents are these? We don't know their names. We know all the kids, like, because yeah. especially in small districts, they're like, everybody knows everybody. Whose parent are you? Now, granted... Sometimes the best thing to do is to claim to be a parent, but that's when you're anonymous and worried about the safety of the children when there's such a great deal of mold in the school. Not that I have ever been that concerned oh, parent. Oh, never. But yeah, it's like you'll you'll see that, and it's uh, now it's really picking up largely because uh, it's easier to outrage people on Facebook, and it requires like zero research or anything, and nobody reads it, and it's just yeah, it's Facebook's fault. It is truly this is a thing that I can point to it and say yeah. This is Facebook's fault. Mm-hmm. 
so here are uh, the two biggest ones that I'm seeing challenged right now, uh, in, in my, at least in my very specific public library circles. Uh, the first one, and it's like being hit, hit really hard, especially in the Midwest and South, is All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Uh, about trans kids, I'm guessing? Uh, or gay kids? It is. It is uh, basically, the author describes it as his a combination manifesto slash memoir that is uh, pro-black and pro-LGBTQ+. plus. Mm-hmm. And I have not read this book yet, but that's because there's a massive hold list on it that started when this book started being challenged. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's like, it's going to take me forever to get there. Yeah. So according to the author, I really wanted to give the youth, especially black queer youth and LGBTQ youth, a resource guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, There were all of these incidents that kept happening specifically around queer youth. Then a lot of statistics were coming out about how LGBTQ homelessness is on the rise, Mm -hmm. how LGBTQ youth suicide ideation, as well as rates, were on the rise. Mm -hmm. And all of these things compounded. It's kind of inspired me in a way to know that it was time to really put my my story out there. Yeah, and um, to all of my kids who are dealing with that because that was actually one of my big things as a teacher was advocating for my kids in that in those communities there is somebody at your school who cares about you like there is a teacher you may not even know them start asking your friends because you know i was the drama teacher i had kids i didn't know who would come to me for help there's a teacher who will care go find them they will they will help you yeah well um obviously because it has pro gay themes in it and it does talk about a consent. It does talk about his first consensual sexual experience, which happened in his twenties. In uh, this book, first consensual. Yeah, um, it's been banned in several states, including Arkansas, Texas. Again, fuck Texas. Virginia, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Florida, Iowa, and Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, people are actually getting so mad about this. A woman in Florida actually called the police about this book being in her in a school. And the police were like, please leave us alone. Yeah. No, it was was Florida. They came in and shot everything. (laughs) And then they released a gator in the library. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, needless to say, we have gotten a string of complaints about this book. Uh, One person even calling it pornography that we have just clearly out in the children's section. It's not in the children's section. It's in the teen section. Yeah. And I'll tell you from books I read as as a kid, I very much remember reading The Face on the Milk Carton. Um, And there is some like, sexual stuff in there same with the giver and i was fine with it like i was i was in third grade when i read face in the milk carton for the first time and i remember going about to have the sex you know yeah. and i got really scared when my mom started reading it because i thought i was going to get in trouble but my mom really just wanted to see what i was reading my mom actually um my mom only banned two books from me as a kid now if you're listening to this uh, my mom is not a book banner she banned the Goosebumps books because I asked her to because they would scare me to the point where I would cry. But I'm also a really bad liar. So I was like, Mom, I don't want to read them. And then she's like, do you want me to tell you I can't read them? I'm like, oh, because then it's the truth. <laughs> and then two, Bag of Bones by Stephen King. She caught me reading it and she looks at me and she goes, don't read that. I'm like, and I thought I was in trouble for reading such a grown up book. And she goes, I'm like, why? What's going on? And she goes, you're going to start reading Stephen King, you are not to start with this book. You are going to start with a good one. <laughs> so my mom, ne- my, I was never in trouble for anything I read as a kid because. Oh, God, I read constantly as a kid. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And now as an adult. Um, Who has the fucking time? Yeah. Like, I've got a book I've been reading for like three weeks. I'm only halfway through it. Yeah. And he's still reading a book I've tried, been trying to get him to read for five years now. Yeah. My favorite book of all time. And he's like. Rah. Yeah. 
dragging my feet. So yeah, uh, another book I keep seeing people challenge is The Hate You Give by oh, Angie Thomas. So good, guys. Um, but read it in a place where you got a trash can by you because I almost had to pull my car over to vomit. Yeah, it is. It is a powerful book and it will elicit a lot of feelings. Yeah, you will break. Yeah. If you give a shit about other human beings, you will break. Yeah. So anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know, The Hate You Give is a story about a girl who witnesses the police kill her childhood best friend. Uh, and they basically, they got pulled over and they shot him even though he was unarmed. Yeah, I, I think he was turning around to ask if she was okay. And he yeah. I think he might have had a comb or something. Like mm -hmm. He reached for something that was not a gun and they shot him. Yeah. And... Uh, and the ripples it has in her life and in her community. Mm -hmm. uh, I Again, I actually have read this book. I recommend it. So good. Yeah. One of the best books I've read in a very long time. Now, the people complaining about this, um, it usually comes up in uh, the same school board meetings where people are screaming about uh, critical race theory being taught in schools. Same people, same meetings, and they're citing this book because it shows up in a lot of book book lists and it's in libraries. My favorite thing I've heard recently is uh, someone complaining about critical race theory um, to a teacher or a school principal. Like, you shouldn't be teaching it. And they go, okay, I hear you. I'm not sure if I'm teaching it or not, though. Can you explain to me what it is? And they had no idea what it was. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I had a tangent here. It's like, talk about the... Uh, videos of people who are trying to get it banned who don't know what it is and yeah. when asked to explain it they can't it actually ties a little bit back into an episode i did a long time ago what is it called the 1600 project or something uh yeah it ties into that it's not the exact same thing but it critical race theory guys basically boils down to everybody's done shitty stuff mm -hmm. including white people so it's like yeah it's like so why shouldn't we talk about the murder of emmett till why shouldn't we talk we about actually that? did talk about that when i was in school believe it or not yeah and we even looked at the pictures. Mm -hmm. This was Catholic school. Yeah. I will say my Catholic school taught more history than pretty much anywhere else. They also taught more valid sex ed than anywhere else in Catholic school. Yeah. So that was like that. Those are the two big ones we're seeing currently. Again, it's and it's both for pretty dumb reasons. And you'll you'll see it a lot where the stuff that gets challenged is things regarding race, sexuality, especially uh, anything on the anything LGBTQ and of course, anything involving witchcraft mm -hmm. or yeah, just which is which is a weird one and usually gets laughed at. There is so many that are banned for recommending you be nice to people. Yeah. Like that is literally all they're doing. Like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird gets mocked, not mocked, gets uh, attempted bans all the time because it's yeah. I mean, sometimes like it's because it has the N word. It's like, are you mad because your parents said that when you were growing up? Yeah. Um, but it's like, no, that's the whole point. Yeah. Now, granted, I've heard some really interesting criticisms of that later, earlier, recently, but I'll talk about it later. Yeah. And it's just, you'll see the, and it's the problem, the big problem is, it's like, these are resources that kind of are represent, representation to extent for marginalized groups that don't see this a lot. Like, you know, the LGBT, he was talking, the author, uh, George M. Johnson was talking about how it's like, I don't, it's like, this is a resource guide for people who are like in trouble and need help. And these are the books they're getting banned. And that's. Part of the reason why I'm, I am against it, and the other part is just purely on intellectual level. It's like, no, we need to know this stuff. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. I worked in a school library as a sub. I was one of the preferred subs in this library, and they had two shelves that I was not allowed to let kids look at if they were under seventh grade. Huh. And so I walked over to those books. I was like, okay, what books were we talking about? Like, I was thinking maybe textbooks or... You know, some really more like my body and me kind of books, but they the ones that got into more depth. Nope. It was stuff like The Giver. Yeah. 
And I was like, mm, but I have to follow the rules because I was just a sub. I would never have agreed to that as a librarian, which I don't blame her. She might have had a lot of pressure on her. Oh, yeah. So uh, now I'm going to actually take a minute to talk about what we do at my library when we actually get book challenges. And uh, firstly, when we get a complaint from someone about a book uh, or someone asking it to be removed from our collection or moved or anything like that, we uh, direct them to an, a form that is a request for reconsideration form. And basically this form asks them to name that title, like give us information about the item, title, author, like ISBN, if they can find it to make it easier. And then like ask some, them some questions about it. Like, did you actually read or did you read or watch this? Sometimes they have it. <laughs> Summarize it for us. Yeah. Uh, like uh, what specifically offended you? And then we also like, hey, what's an, uh, an email or an address so we can actually let you know about what we decided and the reasons we decided. And this stops most of the complaints we get. Yeah. Like, dead in their tracks. Yeah. Because a lot of them haven't read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's like, a lot of it is driven by people who are uh, simply hear about a book on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And want to, or a movie, or they see the cover. Like that movie about the ballerina girls in France on Netflix a couple years yeah. ago. Or, you know, they, or they see the cover and they're offended by something on it, or they just don't like the author, and they want, they, they don't just want to have Balzac. it removed. Balzac. Balzac. Yeah, that was another thing, uh. In Music Man, the way that they say Balzac in most pl most productions of it is real funny. <laughs> but I don't think they wanted to do that with high schoolers. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so they'll... But when people actually do fill out this form, uh, we actually do take it seriously. Uh, our collection manager actually takes the time. They uh, either fully watch or fully read the item, looking for what you're talking about. And then they write a letter saying uh, why we've decided to keep it in our collection. And they'll cite things like, you know, criticism, awards it's run won. They talk about how many people are reading it and say, it's like, hey... You may not like this, but this work reflects a value in our community. People need it's like it's something that people need, and they talk about the library's mission to provide information and say we are going to keep this in our our system. And we almost always keep it in our system. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you ever remove them for? Like, I'm sure there are valid reasons to remove books, um, but it's not things like I didn't like it. Yeah, uh, it's sometimes we get stuff with like this is inappropriate for children is like the majority of it. Like, I, I was a librarian for a hot second, guys, an elementary school librarian. And part of my job was to weed out the books because they were in really bad shape. Like, yeah. this was a school that had no money. And I actually had a team of volunteers fixing books in there, but some of them were too far gone to, to oh, save. Oh, yeah, this is... Um, but I had one book that I pulled, and I would, if I was on the fence about, about them, about, like, whether or not they were worth trying to save... I had a book that I pulled and I decided it was not worth trying to save because it was about our wonderful president, Bill Clinton. And I don't know if it was written before the end of his presidency. Oh, gosh. Or if they just wanted to pretend he wasn't impeached. But the information was so inaccurate that I was like, I can't justify trying to fix this book. Yeah. And I, okay, I can, there have been like a few books that have actually been removed from our collection. Again, most of the time, uh, it's, she's talking about weeding, which is just the, it's part of the natural process because we're always buying new books. Mm -hmm. So we have to get rid of old ones, which like, usually it's stuff that's out of date, stuff that's worn out, or stuff that's just not checked out very often. Mm -hmm. And we just, that's what we do to make room on our shelves for new books. Yeah. That's just, which by the way, um, every time you see like, like a new story about how people are mad that this library is throwing away books, that's what they're doing. It's just part of a library. Yeah. Um, and there's no one to buy those books. Like we actually sell a ton to a recycling company. In, like, literal, like, boxes so big they have to be picked up by forklifts. Mm -hmm. That's just what you have to do. No one wants to buy used books. Yeah, and I want to make two points here as well. One, be mad at the book publishers um, because I worked at a bookstore that closed down and we were obligated to destroy the books. That uh, We destroyed thousands of brand 
new books. And two, there was a big to-do a few years ago about textbooks being thrown out, like in dumpsters behind schools. They're like, the very least they could recycle them. Actually, they can't. Those books are not recyclable um, because of the type of paper they use. So, yeah. So we have all, I can only, uh, a handful of books. One of them, uh, which was the, which we actually been removed. I can't remember the title of it, but it's basically a child gets kidnapped and he uses his tongue to escape from being kidnapped. Like, and it's got some really gross, like, kind of pedophilia undertones to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, we removed that one. Yeah. And it was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, there there are people who very much advocate in favor of pedophilia. Yeah. So that's like the one I can think of that we, that's that been removed. And now, have I ever filled out a uh, form to make my boss read a book that I liked, but nobody else around me has read, so I can actually have make her read it and have someone in the office to talk about it with? No. Have I ever been tempted to do this? Yes. I think he's lying and I think he's done that. And sorry, have, you're Austin's boss. I have not done that. We did fill out a uh, hundred or so fake forms for like our old boss because he was- Oh, he, I remember that. Because he had been, he had like, it had been like at a meeting and he said, we'd been talking about this. He said like, you know, I haven't really gotten any of this year. It's kind of makes me sad. And so on April Fool's, everybody filled out a bunch for fake titles and we threw them all on his desk and it was really funny. <laughs> I once filled out a semi-fake form at the library um, complaining about a misplaced apostrophe on all of the signs. And I asked Austin, I'm like, Austin, who reads these? And he told me, I'm like, do they have a sense of humor? Would they understand that I'm writing this in a joking way? He's like, oh, absolutely. They'll think this is hilarious. And so I actually had my name and my email address on it because everybody knew that I was Austin's, I think, fiance at the time. And so I wrote about how this misplaced apostrophe was sending me into a spiral that was going to end in the abyss that is now staring back at me. And it was the most over-the-top ridiculous thing. Well, she has, she was off that week, so somebody without us, like somebody else read it, and they thought I was completely serious about going into like this deep depression over the apostrophe, but they did replace all the signs. Yeah. And I'm sorry to whoever that was. I really want, like, I did want the apostrophes to be fixed, but... If I'd known it was, you know, someone who would be that. DVD apostrophe S. Like, I can't remember exactly. Are they belonging to DVD? Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it was. That's what it was. Oh, no, I think it was D period, V period, D period. I'm not even sure it was apostrophe. No, it was that. It was DVD apostrophe S. Um, But whatever it was, they thought they legitimately thought I had fallen into a deep depression and were concerned about me. And I'm like, no, no, I thought it was clear that this was a joke. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Back on topic. If like. They get this letter and that's still not enough. They have the option to appeal it to the library board. And like, to my knowledge, like I didn't think of any time that's happened. I think it did happen one time in the past. And it was, it was a, uh, like a children's book about your changing body mm-hmm. that mentioned homosexuality in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And someone was real mad about that, which I mean, that's like, that's the big trigger around here is yeah, that's what throws all of the school norms into a frenzy. Yeah. That's so yeah. hard. That is and, so hard. But it's like, it's and as part of being at the library, we need to keep a diverse collection. And uh, it is, we frequently say this all the time. It's like, if there's not something in our collection that offends you, we're not doing our job right. Because mm-hmm. we need to keep some, because we represent a, a diverse community with diverse needs and diverse interests. So there's going to be something that offends you. Like, I know I see stuff that offends me in my job. I don't, it's like, it is not my place to complain about it. It should be there. I agree with it being there, even if I don't like it. Oh, I had people come up to me constantly when I worked at a bookstore with Ann Coulter books 
And they would go on and on for 20 goddamned minutes while I'm trying to do my job saying that my generation needs to read these books or we're all going to fail and ruin this country. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, seriously, like, because I'm mad about it now, why the fuck does this millionaire pundit with a primetime cable show on a press tour promoting his third book about how conservatives are being silenced by the woke media think he's being silenced? How do you have this colossal disconnect? You literally have the biggest platform and most media representation of anybody in history. And you're crying because some people were mean to you about your bad opinions on Twitter? Can we also talk about Dr. Oz having no qualifications to talk about your fucking diet or psychology or anything and selling books that are legitimately dangerous to you and your health and yet those aren't being challenged? Yeah. So, yeah. Like, do I agree with this book? No. Should it be in our library's collection? Absolutely. Like, to Dr. Oz's, probably not, because he's trying to kill you. See, actually, that's like the argument we ha- kind of have. It's like a, a real subtext one is what is our role in misinformation? Like, yeah, it's do like we have, such a hard thing. It is it is like a very like touchy area. It's like, okay, we know that this book is wrong. Do we still, does it have value as part of a library collection? Okay, new idea. I'm going to go to libraries. Not yours, obviously. And get one of those Facebook fact check stamps. That goes over people's things and just start putting it on pages where things are incorrect. <laughs> oh, please don't do that. That's going to make my job so difficult. Okay. And I said not your yeah. library. And like, will I help someone find a book I disagree with or and recommend them similar books? Oh, yeah. At, that might interest them based on something I disagree with? Absolutely. Yep. It's like, and which is part of why I get annoyed when people accuse the library of having a, a bi- having biased views. It's like, we work so hard to keep our opinions out of the way, like, you have no idea. Well, the problem is when they ask, have you read this? And the answer is no. So they assume. It's like, like, we have, we have over a million books. We haven't read a percentage of them. Like, nobody has. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's what we do. And it's, it's very, I think it's important that we have that books that we disagree with. And I'm glad we have a system in place to review these just so that we, can like you know have a at least a check and when people get mad about it we have a way to explain to them our reasoning for habit mm-hmm. even though i i disagree with books being it just yeah being, being banned and also guys when you burn books you had to buy them first oh yeah the authors Absolutely. are like cool i made a bunch of money and got free publicity oh yeah so yeah that's banned books yeah we should probably talk about this again during banned books week too and talk about some of the oh I, okay also uh we're gonna library I'm so sick of Band Book Week. Like nobody likes it. It's like there's like three people who get really excited about it, but the rest of it's like, yeah. But this is we deal with this all the time. This is constant. I don't know why I had a special like week to talk about this with people. We're always dealing with these people. Well, it's an ALA thing to begin with. Yeah. But also, there are really cool activities you guys could do. You could get volunteers to come in and. Well, we can't get volunteers right now. I'm talking about when you can. Yeah. I'm like and have them dress up as characters from the books to discuss the books with people. Like it'd be so cool. So yeah. Are you ready for questions? I am. Will the sheer professionalism displayed by librarians be on the test? Yes, it will. Will Confucian scholars being buried alive to erase written history be on the test? Yes. Will Martha Stewart's criminal record be on the test? No. Will the rising suicide and homeless rates of LGBTQ plus teens be on the test? No. Well, it depends on where you live. Yeah. And will me crying in the office, just out in the open while listening to parts of the hate you give be on the test? Only if me having to pull, almost having to pull my car over so I could vomit out the door will be on the test. And, okay, it may sound like we're not recommending this book. We're recommending this yeah, book. Yeah, like this is one of the hardest 
hitting books. Like, I was picturing my students during this. Yeah. And it's not okay what we do to people, and mm-hmm. especially children, but... And, yeah. Oh, I even read this before all of, like, you know, the... I did, too. Before all the George Floyd stuff in 2020. I did, too. It's like, I I might want to reread it now. I, I have another one of her books on my uh, Audible list, and I can't bring myself to do it right now, which I know it's one of those things people are going to look at me like, you're white, you need to, you have to force yourself to, and I'm going to. I am. I need to wait at least for this Kyle Rittenhouse bullshit to be oh, over. Oh, God, yes. Yay. All right. So, kind of an interesting set of topics this week. Very different from one another. Yep. So yeah, I guess. Uh, so. Remember how when we used to do that when we first started, we used to do what did you learn today? Yeah, let's like we didn't. Uh, what did you learn today? What did I learn today? Uh, Benedict Arnold. Like, I already mentioned it. Like was like he was both better and worse than I thought he was. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn today? I learned about the dude who like burned all the books so he could be the first person to exist. It's like I want to be the beginning of history. If it wasn't it's for like him, just like a Bond, some Bond villain shit right there. I love it. Like. I mean, in, I don't like that he burned 400, or not burned, buried 400 people alive, but also, like, how do you do that? Like, do you put them in a giant pit and do it all at once? Do you do it? Are they tied up? What are you doing? I don't know. Remember that episode of Lost where that happened? No. There was a spider <laughs> that bites you, and it makes you um, rendered completely paralyzed for, like, 12 hours oh, or something, yeah. and it slows your heart and all of that, and you are par- people think you look dead. So they're like, well, I guess we got to bury the bodies. And they were not dead. <laughs> and the last thing you see is the, they zoom in on the girl and she's got tears going down her face because she can't say or do anything. Oh, so, yeah. So where can people find us? You can find us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod on our Instagram account at on the test pod on Twitter at on the test pod and our website on the test Yep. And you can find us here every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform. Please rate, review, subscribe. We haven't gotten a review in a while. So come on, be nice to us. Don't be a Benedict Arnold unless you're going to be the part where he was just trying to deal with childhood trauma, in which case you can thank us for telling you it's okay to have childhood trauma and you can work through it and we believe in you. Yes. Um, But also don't commit treason because that gets you in trouble. Oh, I mean, it used to. (laughs) That's true. Now it's like, what, some probation? Yeah. You can go to Mexico all you want. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't commit treason because that sucks. And yeah. now that now that Biden's in charge, you might get in trouble. I don't know. If somebody tells him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I guess on that note. Class, class dismissed. dismissed.